Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast brought to you by Martel Cognac. I'm Joe Bullmore and I'm joined this afternoon at Mark's Club by Cassandra Stavrou and Ryan Cohn, the co-founders of popcorn company Propercorn. The pair started the brand in 2011 and used a cement mixer and a paint sprayer to cook up their first ever batch. Today, the company sells a packet of popcorn every single second. In a brilliant episode, Cassandra and Ryan discuss building a healthy startup culture from scratch, the keys to winning a sales pitch, and why Winnie the Pooh is an excellent guide to modern life. Cassandra and Ryan, thank you very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. I want to start with you, Cassandra, because you're the kind of founder. They, I know you're both founders, but you're the founder before Ryan was involved and the original visionary, shall we <laughs> say, of As in, um, I, I guess I had the idea, yeah. but um, but no, we definitely kind of launched it together. Yeah, um, but your background isn't in food and it's not in popcorn. Um, no. What did you do before you started popcorn? So uh, I guess kind of rewind to when I was sort of, uh, I know, 14, I think it was probably when I first decided I wanted to run a business at some stage and um, had had various ideas up until proper corn. And um, it was probably about 10 years ago now, just felt there was a real opportunity to create a snack that was full of flavour, really satisfying, but happened to be better for you. Um, And... I guess a little bit of serendipity, you know, went home and told my mum about this idea, you know, but everyone understands popcorn, but mm. it was about sort of repositioning it. And um, my, my father died when I was 16 and she reminded me that the last present he'd bought me was a popcorn machine. So uh, while I'm not particularly fatalistic, yeah. it was a good reason, good enough uh, to quit my job and, and give it a go. Yeah. And were you very nervous when you, when you handed in your notice and you had to step out into the real world on your own? Honestly, no, um, and that's I guess that's that's because of two things. You know, firstly, you know, God, people who um, have mortgages and children and, and decide to sort of give it a punt, I have so much respect for. And I think you know, I was twenty four; I had very little to lose in that respect, um, and so I was able to be a bit more risky. Um, and then I also just absolutely believed in it and, and really believed in the potential and and where it could go. And so um, I don't know. Yeah, I backed the idea. Yeah. Was there kind of a eureka moment that led to that? Was there, uh, Did you look around you and think people are missing a trick here? Um, I guess, so specifically for Propercorn, it was, you know, it's, it's it's like with any good idea, you know, you're trying to sort of fix a problem or, or, or offer something that doesn't exist. And it was, this was before the massive onslaught of healthy snacking. And it was, you know, three o'clock, everyone would go and buy a chocolate bar and feel really guilty about it or go and buy like a, you know, those Weight Watchers sort of, yeah. you know, sterile white packaging and big advert saying I'm on a diet and really unsatisfying. And so I think it was about spotting that there was that gap um, to offer something that straddled both yeah. health and taste. And you moved back in with your mother, is that right? Yes, yeah. my, my long-suffering mother. <laughs> Were you experimenting with all the, the kind of cooking of it at home? Was there popcorn and pots and pans everywhere? I think, you know, when, when you're starting a business, you have to wear all hats. So it yeah. was, I uh, went to the East London Small Business Centre and did a free business course, um, started kind of drawing bits of packaging on on paper, um, trying to find a manufacturer, you know, across the, the, the breadth, mm. uh, trying recipes at home. Um, you just try and get all the various wheels in motion. And, um, and it was, you know, at that time that I 
felt incredibly alone and you know got quite stale and that's when um, on the advice of uh, Richard Reed, who was the innocent founder yeah. he says, you, you don't need to do this on your own and uh, Ryan and I had been uh, really good friends I used to go out with um, his best mate and um, he was at a time when he was sort of looking forward to getting involved in something as well and we just came together and it worked yeah. and uh, here we are incredible <laughs> so Ryan what was it about Propagorn that you thought this was something you could sink your teeth into I think the idea of you know, healthier, kind of better for you popcorn is just a really simple idea that just makes sense. Yeah. Um, it is corn, it's a vegetable. Um, it's something that we all eat <clears throat> in the cinema all over the world. Um, and immediately, I think, you know, when I, when I first heard about the idea, and I had no intention of getting involved at this stage, um, I just was like, yeah, it's a good idea. Great, you should go for it. And, uh, you know, at, at the time, just as a friend and as someone who's kind of running my own business, you know, I was just kind of there for advice and was just like, yeah, you should go for this. And, you know, have you thought about X? Have you thought about Y? And um, I guess as a, yeah, as seeing Cassandra as a fellow entrepreneur, I was just always happy to help. And then um, I think it's a very difficult industry to start uh, your own business in. And actually the business I was working in, um, while I really enjoyed it and it was going well, actually I wasn't finding it as inspiring. Um, and yeah, I think the world just kind of aligned at the right moment for both of us. And we just, you know, initially sat down and said, let's give this a go. Mm. Uh, launched in my living room. <laughs> and now we have a, a team of, you know, about 40 staff. We've got these amazing offices on the canal yeah. near Old Street. Um, and we're incredibly proud of, of what we've achieved. But we're, you know, we, we still kind of laugh at it a bit because we've been blagging it all this time yeah. um probably shouldn't say that on a podcast everything <laughs> no, we're about to good. say is really interesting um <laughs> but generally you know i think um yeah we, we i think you've had to we've had to learn quickly yeah. on the job and um we both love it yeah we both we both really enjoy doing it so if we go back to that kind of blagging it stage when you were still making it up as you went along how did you come up with the name firstly what was the process behind that I mean, there were so many names yeah. and it's kind of, you know, one of those where you sort of send an email around to your mates sort of saying, you know, what are your top three? And I'm really into Prince, um, as in the artist. Okay. And at one point it was Prince Popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God that didn't get through. I think proper, um, proper corn, it just, it just kind of works. And this idea of... You know, proper is uh, it's, it's shifting away from that sort of stiff English kind of stiff upper lip English sense of the word properness and making it something a little bit more personal. So for us, proper is about um, being uh, really personal, being creative, um, having lots of empathy. Um, we sort of redefined the values that we wanted proper to stand for and it just it just kind of worked. Yeah. Um, and did your, you were in advertising before, did that kind of marketing background help you at all? No, I was a hopeless employee. <laughs> right. and, and and also this is kind of, you know, right at the beginning of my professional career. I think I've been working for like a year okay. and I was account assistant on Vodafone Global and really bad at it as well. <laughs> so I, I didn't have some illustrious advertising career at all. Okay. <laughs> Right. And so what, when, when it came to cooking it all, Ryan, were you involved in the flavour process? How did you guys choose that? Because I guess you could do almost anything. Uh, no. So, well, I mean, in terms of, um, I, always, I always commend Cassandra on her taste buds um, because she's, she's always been a, uh, a real foodie. And so uh, the recipes, the initial recipes were, were kind of Cassandra's kind of concoction uh, with her mum with her in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and 
uh, I guess maybe what I probably brought to the table was a bit more, first of all, I think confidence, um, having kind of run a number of businesses myself that had gone well over the you know, previous years. Yeah, and maybe just a bit of know-how on how to really get kind of get a business going. And I think, you know, the advice I always say to kind of entrepreneurs now when, when they're starting is just, just get going and just get selling. And the product won't be perfect, the brand won't be perfect, but as long as you start bringing revenue into your business, the rest will fall into place. Yeah. And just focus on growing that revenue. Um, you know, you could spend a million quid on advertising in the UK and only a fraction of the UK population would see yeah. what you're doing. So actually the best way of kind of marketing is just selling your product and having it out there. Yeah. Um, and so I think kind of that attitude of just, you know, let's sell, let's, you know, let's be confident, let's just get it going mm. is probably maybe more what I bring. And that's not to say that Cass obviously wasn't doing that as well. But um, yeah. Of course. Is it true that you... Um you kind of had a cement mixer and a car paint sprayer and you were spraying yeah, flavours onto it? I think that's just about, you know, uh, I guess being resourceful. When you're starting a business, you don't have kind of unlimited budgets and, and resources at your fingertips, so you have to be creative in, in the way that you kind of um, get things done. And so uh, the world of manufacturing wasn't quite set up to season popcorn in the way that I wanted mm. it to be seasoned. And so um, I decided to get a cement mixer and... Um, knew I wanted to tumble on the se seasonings in some way and so I got a cement mixer and then um, wanted a really fine way of applying the oil and I remember watching Top Gear and the way that you spray paint a car is like using a very kind of fine wow. mist um, and so I ordered a car spraying kit online and, and that's you know use that to apply the oil um, and you know it was pretty basic but it kind of worked and the principles today remain the same and so I think it was a good lesson in um, I guess yeah just being quite creative in the way that you overcome challenges yeah so you've got you've got the popcorn men you've got it bagged up and everything how did you go about getting your first orders what was your kind of pitch strategy back then um I mean we had this kind of phrase which was the business will live or die by the sales and um, for some I don't know where that came from but we just both used to just kind of continuously use it. And anyone who joined the business, it was there was a thing that we said to them. Um, and the first sale came from a, a friend of ours who was working at Google, who um, managed to introduce us to the head chef there. Oh, wow. And we went there with kind of our sample packs, which were without the branding on, but the kind of just, you know, these silver packs that we brought from our factory. Um, and he tried the product, he loved it, <clears throat> introduced us then to a wholesaler, which was essentially kind of the route to market. Um, and then we were off and, and because Google free issue all of their snacks and they've got like 3,000 people working in, in their offices, they were the perfect first customer for us because it meant that it really helped us um, with our minimum order quantities yeah. in the factory. So we managed to get you know good volume straight off the bat. Um, and I think one thing we did really well was that every single little sales snippet of data, so in Google, we quickly became their fastest moving snack out of all the snacks oh, wow. they offered. We then we would take that and then we'd go and speak to the next customer and we'd say, Hey, look, we're the we're the best selling snack in Google. You need to try us, we'll give you, you know, we'll give you free, some free stock, give it a go. They then try and they'll be like, Yeah, actually it's selling just as well as our hand cooked crisps. And then we like bang, that goes straight into our presentation onto the next guy. So we're the best selling snack in Google and we're matching kind of the sales of hand cooked crisps in yeah. Leon. You should definitely try us. And then again it kind of it just kind of rolled like that. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's that's kind of I think kind of the early days, and, and I think the first few hires we also made were all sales focused as well. And again, something like always, we always say to kind of entrepreneurs when they're starting a business is, you know, if you think about your time spent doing what jobs, 
just make sure a large portion of that time is spent selling and that's something we definitely did yeah is it true that you went into kind of pitch meetings with necklaces made of popcorn for some of them yeah, I think, I, think, I think the point there is that, um, you know, you're a very unproven, tiny um, company um, when you're starting out invariably. Mm. Everyone starts small. And um, and so you need to find a way to kind of cut through the noise and, and, and be memorable um, in a meeting. And so that is, be it turning up on a hot day with lollies for the team or whatever it may be, and also being driven from uh, a place of empathy in that, um, so many people turn up at a meeting and just kind of have their pitch and just talk at someone for an hour about how brilliant they are. And if you're on the receiving end of that day in, day out, it can be incredibly dull. And so it's much more important to enter in the room and think, right, what are the challenges that you need to overcome? What, How are you measured? What are your, what are your goals that you need to hit? And mm. how can we be part of that? solution and so every meeting we've ever, ever gone into we've started from kind of um, their perspective of what what are they trying to achieve and how can Propercorn in some way help them achieve that yeah. um, and so that's sort of um, always approaching from a place of empathy and then throwing in a little bit of you know popcorn necklace whatever it may be just so that you're memorable I think is quite a nice combination yeah and did you I mean popcorn hasn't really changed for decades and you guys are kind of doing something slightly different with it, I suppose, in, in definite presentation. Were there misconceptions or preconceptions that buyers had about popcorn that you had to overcome? Um, I guess one of our biggest challenges fundamentally was um, reinventing a category. Yeah. Um, popcorn was normally kind of, you know, the forgotten snack discarded on the floors of cinemas, and we elevated it to be, you know, the official snack of London Fashion Week. Mm. And that... Um, that sort of repositioning something probably was the biggest challenge we faced. And I, and I remember um, about six months before we launched, uh, two huge competitors entered the market, you know, far bigger um, than, than, you know, than we were. Who are they? Can you say who they are? Uh, Metcalfs and Tyrrells. So yeah. Tyrrells, hugely established Chris Brand and Metcalfs, you know, brilliant Julian Metcalf who launched um, Pret and, and now Itsu. And so, um, you know, really sort of, you know, brilliant brilliant um kind of brands in the industry and i remember going home in floods of tears and sort of saying to my mom you know shit it's, it's happened um but invariably it was the best thing that could have happened and competition is a brilliant thing and everyone who's starting a business better hope there's lots of competition out there because it creates a marketplace it creates a demand and then our job is to be the best yeah. you know and that, that's how it goes and so um yeah so what what were the we've heard about the big breakthroughs early on the kind of Googles, what were the big horror stories? What went really wrong? <laughs> um, we've had a number of them. Um, nice. I would say, uh, well, one, one um, yeah, a couple. So um, first of all, um, the first kind of big one I would say is that when we, you know, neither Cassandra nor myself had any experience within the FMCG world, and while we both understood the concept of a best before end date. Um, we didn't really consider it when we'd ordered our popcorn and our popcorn has got um, six months shelf life on it. And we just assumed that meant that we could sell that to our customers right up until its last month. Um, and after about two months of selling, we started getting kind of wholesalers and, and retailers kind of rejecting our corn saying, so there's not enough shelf life on the product. How long do they need typically on their shelves? So they, they need typically kind of two thirds or three quarters of okay. what you get from your factory. So we were like, well, 
Hold, hold on a second. What do you mean? There's because we you know, minimum order quantities. We, we still had about thirty-five pallets, which probably equates to nearly forty thousand bags oh worth of popcorn that we yeah. need to sell. We just started, and we were like, "What do you mean? It, you know, there's there's plenty. There's four months." And they were like, "No, no, we need it with minimum three quarters." And we were just like, "Oh my god, what are we going to do?" And we literally just had to get out there and sell and just do whatever we could to shift this stock. So we brokered deals. Um, you know, we were literally kind of like on streets, knocking on doors. And, you know, a lot of people actually ask, you know, say to me, like, how it felt like overnight you guys would just seem to be everywhere. And I kind of point to that moment as a bit wow. of like, well, we, we kind of, we were forced to literally sell or die because if we didn't sell that stock, the business could have gone under. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have loads of cash reserves. So that would be one. And then another quite funny one, and this is more about kind of, I guess a really big lesson learned in not cutting corners. Um, when we started doing our international business, um, we had to translate the packs um, and the flavor names and you know the ingredients on the packs. And um, rather than spend the money and use a proper kind of professional translation service, we decided to kind of use friends and families to kind of translate okay. the, the ingredients and packs, people who could speak, you know, French and German and whatnot. And in one of the countries, I can't remember which one it is, our fiery Worcester sauce and sun-dried tomato flavor came out as horny Worcester sauce and sun-dried tomato flavor, which was, um, I think, could have sold really well. <laughs> have done better, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, obviously, when, when we were then told what the, what the issue okay. was, we, we then spent the money and uh, got it rectified. But obviously, you know, we, we, it was a bit of a costly, costly yeah, job. So, so, yeah, those, those are two that spring to mind. So you, we've spoken about your kind of competitors, Metcalfs and Tyrrells. Where do you sit in the pecking order of those as far as kind of size goes and, and scale and international reach? Um, well, I mean... Great timing to ask that question. Yeah, I'm <laughs> very proud to say that we are the number one. Um, and worked out over the weekend that we sell a pack of popcorn every second. Really? Um, which, is, which, is, which is a cool thing to be that's able to amazing. say. That's um, we, we amazing. We are number one. And um, I think that's a real testament to, um, first and foremost, you know, the product, but also, um, I guess, the brand and, and the team. Um, you know, the team is something that both my, Ryan and myself are incredibly proud of and just such a passionate and dynamic group of people who... Yeah. Um, have really driven the you know the company forward, so it's it's definitely a team effort. Yeah, just to say in terms yeah. of when you said the size, we're now bigger than Metcalfs and Tills combined. Wow! In terms of popcorn, not yeah, not yeah, of course. Cells. So yeah, that's something. That, and so again, you that's are only one. something that's that's come about, you know, in the last kind of month or two. So yeah, amazing. Really, well, yeah. congratulations! And every time I click my finger, yeah. another <laughs> pack goes. Exactly. Yeah, amazing. So it's interesting you mentioned your team because. That's obviously very important for a startup. What do you look for when you're looking to hire team members? It's interesting. You know, we, we talk about this a lot because the people bit is the hardest bit to get right. Um, and I think what you look for as a startup is slightly differently to what you look for as a slightly more mature kind of SME. Um, and I think in the beginning, you just need super proactive people people that are incredibly self-motivated, that find solutions, not just, you know, highlight problems, or all the kind of age-old things that people talk about with a startup mentality. Um, and that's what you need, people who are just going to drive the business forward. Um, and then you kind of go through this awkward kind of period of puberty where you're trying to figure out who you are and what you're about. Okay. And and you, we've slightly come out of that now. We've, you know, had to professionalise the business a little bit more and I guess be a bit more mature. Mm. Um 
And so that's when like a little bit of experience does come into play a little bit. Um, ultimately, we look for kind of just at- attitudinally you know, aligned people, people who share the same values as us, who are positive, um, who don't take themselves too seriously as well. You right, know, it's just yeah. popcorn. Yeah. Um, and and can, can think on their feet and, and get things done. Yeah. Is there a kind of a brand book? Is there a, is there a set of attributes you look for in people? Is there a test you have, maybe? Uh, there wasn't, I would say, a kind of an attitudinal test. But yeah, I guess as Cass mentioned, like, for me, the three things, you know, to really try and distill it into three adjectives, I would say they need, they need to be positive, passionate and bright. Um, and those are probably the three common denominators that, you know, I think if you've got those three things, you're, you're the right kind of person to be yeah. working within our business. And, you know, at any stage of a business, there's always going to be problems. And, you know, the way that we act to those problems is really important. And there's always going to be mistakes. And the way that, you know, we react to those mistakes is really important. And we always say, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Mm. Um, And so the people that we bring in, if they are positive, you know, there is a way around this. We just need to think about it in the right way. If they're passionate, they know they'll they'll care enough to kind of um, to want to, you know, fix the problem or or rectify the mistake. and if they're bright, they'll know how to. <laughs> so I guess, you know, for us, um, and, I, and I definitely agree as well with Cass in that there's certainly different levels of experience that, you know, you bring in. But I think those would be the, those would be the kind of the, the things we look for. Yeah. And is there, do you kind of try and educate people on the proper corn way if they come in? Is there kind of a, I know I used to work at Amazon, for example, and they, there's a whole kind of day where they teach you all the mm-hmm. principles, which are kind of like Ten Commandments. It's a bit of a culty thing, but it works well because people instantly understand how they have to behave. Um, we, we ha- you know, we have the induction process and the manifesto and yeah. the values that are visible. And, you know, we, we, we do all that stuff. Um, but I would say it's, um, it's less tangible than mm. that. I think it's just about... Uh, you know, bringing them into this kind of funny little culture that we have and, and, and kind of helping them to sort of build relationships across the business. And I think we're quite unique in that, um, you know, uh, Nathan, who works in design, can tell you what Matt, who's working in operations, is working on at any um, point in, in the kind of the month. And that's because there is a really collaborative culture in our business every day um, George Michael Careless Whisper gets played at one o'clock which announces <laughs> lunch um, why that song uh, I think it just got played once Fine. and it just became the the kind of the Pavlov's dog of you know announcing okay. food and, and, it, and it sort of stuck and um, and it's silly but it means that we all sit down every day over food and have proper conversations and build relationships and that um, is so valuable to mm. kind of the way that then the business can function and operate in a in a in a kind of cohesive way. Yeah. And how many people now work for Popcorn? Uh, it's around forty. Has that been difficult? Having never, I imagine, managed a team before, you were twenty five when you left advertising. Was it difficult um, to learn how to do that? Uh, yeah. Yes. Ab- yes. Definitely. Um, I, I I don't know if we're good managers or not. Um, we're probably um, not. Um, the orthodox approach yeah. you know it's, it's not it's not about micromanaging and being too kind of prescriptive but being quite um open um and there to sort of support and and give a bit of direction but ultimately uh i guess the kind of people that we like to bring the business sort of are quite proactive yeah um, of course and you've got a new ceo hired this summer 
Yeah, we um, we brought in a guy called Mike Hedges, yeah. who was the uh, former MD of Tyrrells. Oh, amazing! Um, and uh, That's he a big actually, yeah, he, he actually exited Tyrrells when they sold out a couple of years ago to a big American company called Amplify Snacks. Um, and we'd always actually got on well with him. We kind of met him just through the industry, um, and yeah, he joined a few months ago. He's been a really great addition to the business. He understands. I guess the, the next steps in our journey, um, and both of us are huge ambitious, and you know we we believe in the potential of the brand. Um, and as I said before, we've been blagging it all this time, so it's about time we brought someone in who knew what they were doing. Okay. Um, but no, I, th- I think you know what what he's brought in is a different attitude, um, some really good kind of commercial rigor, and um, but he also understands that you know Propercorn has a culture that we're very protective about. We're a young business. Um, I think, well, I, I think I'm, I'm the second oldest in the business. Yeah. Um, and that says it all, I'm very young. Um, <laughs> and um, and I think that, you know, what's been wonderful is that he's really kind of taken that on board and really adapted to the culture um, yeah. and is learning a lot from that as well, which is brilliant. And so I guess that kind of marriage is, is, seems so far to be working really well. We're having a really strong year. We're kind of beating our targets and... Um, yeah, we're very excited for the year ahead. We've got a lot of exciting products we're going to be launching um, that I couldn't necessarily talk about now. Okay. Uh, top secret. Um, but when the time is right, we will be shouting about it from the rooftops. Oh, wow, how exciting. So it's interesting you spoke about kind of having lunch together and that downtime. There's this kind of idea in the startup world of founders never, ever having a day off and constantly living the business. Is that something you guys do or do you try and have a good work-life balance? No, it's totally true. I've got insomnia and I'm highly stressed and <laughs> a nightmare. Um, no, uh, no, no I'm, I'm kind of, I'm totally embellishing it. Uh, we actually are massive believers in um, taking proper holiday and, you know, kind of what I said earlier, not taking yourself too seriously is just popcorn and we're not, we're not saving lives here. Yeah. And so um, you have to carve out time for yourself to switch off a little bit and, and that's the best thing for the business. You know, anyone who's kind of right up, uh, you know, sort of in your face at the business the whole time, you never get a perspective. You never get the chance to sort of step back and think more broadly and more strategically. So um, we really encourage everyone to sort of prioritize that sort of personal time. Yeah. Um, we have unlimited holiday. Wow. Um, which I guess comes in from- the team do as well, not just us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> We, um, yeah, which comes from a place of trust in that, you know, anyone who's having to kind of, uh, I guess, fill in a holiday chart every mm. every time. Yeah. It, it just, you know, like, ultimately, if you're doing your job, we'll know. Um, and so um, it's really important. I, that idea of kind of work-life balance, I think, as a phrase, is overused in that so much of your life is work. And so it's not one starts when the other one yeah. stops. It's just in total... Um, just having a really balanced approach. Of course. And do you find people take less holiday because it's unlimited instead of trying to fill up the whole quota? That's the kind of the thinking sometimes you, behind that. I don't think we've even ever analysed it. No, like you know, you, 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 you know who's doing a good job or yeah. not. And I think you, know, you can get obsessed with these things. Yeah. I think, yeah, there's there's some who will take more than others and there's, there's definitely a name that springs to mind and Cass will know that person as well. <laughs> but then there's also some that, that don't. But I think... I think the point really is that um, the wonderful thing about building a business is you get to do it however you want. Um, and 
you know, we want a team that we can trust. We want to build a business in the right way that looks after its team, that gives them the right perks, that motivates them, that mm. inspires them. And setting them kind of quotas for their time off if they're working really, you know, it, it's just not the way we want to work. Um, mm. Similarly, you know, another, you know, big part of our business is about how we how we go about our business. It's not just um, the what we do, it's how we do it. Um, and you can look at that from an execution point of view in terms of our values and creativity and the way that we bring our packs to life by using artists and promoting those artists on the back of the packs. Um, but similarly, we've just become a B Corp, which is, um, I guess, an accreditation for businesses that are run in the right way. They look at things like your energy usage, your wastage, oh, wow. um, how you treat your staff, diversity in the business, and you have to score a certain amount of points to become a certified B Corp and we became one in January something we're really proud of and actually it's just the start of this journey for us you know yeah. we've always been a business that I think has has you know been conscious of the way that we grow and develop um, and we want to keep doing more and, and certain you know I guess that's a kind of a nice little mm. approval stamp for now but it, it's something that we're, we're pushing on more and more and I think that's really important as well for anyone starting a business is is just you know thinking about environment and people within it and what the impact is of course. on those. Yeah, and how's the um, dynamic as co-founders? Steve Jobs fell out with Steve Wozniak, who was his best friend. Eduardo Savran ended up suing Mark Zuckerberg, and they were very good friends at college. Do you guys get on very well? Is it you often hear about co-founders falling out? Do you have a good relationship? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> we. Uh, on the spot. No, it's. Um, I think probably our relationship is actually stronger than it's ever been, which um, which hopefully means that it's you know continued to go in the right direction. It's like any kind of relationship with two people. You have to have um, really good communication, um, trust. Uh, don't go to sleep on an argument. Okay. Um, you know all, all the all the kind of rules of any sort of marriage. Um, <laughs> um, and and so yeah, and so I think we've we've really put in the time to sort of foster that relationship in a way that then it can be, you know, a good working relationship. Yeah. Um, and, and and we still, you know, I think the last two Christmases we've also gone on holiday together as well. Oh, so wow. we so we we also choose to hang out in our spare <laughs> okay. time, which is um, yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah, well, slash bit lame. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan, what do you think? Do you really hate Herm? I feel like I feel really lucky because I think um, I feel like I've got another family member. It's probably the best way to put it. And I think when you're when you're working so closely with someone every day, um, certainly there are times when you know you feel the pressure and mm. you know you can stress each other out. And um, I'm sure on both sides there's been times where we both wanted to kind of you know kill each other. But we, as Cass said, I think the the really important thing is communication and talking it through and. Um, understanding each other more and being empathetic to whatever's going on in our lives not just within work but outside and yeah I, I honestly feel like now just like like, like I've, I feel extremely lucky to have the relationship I'm with to be basically on this amazing journey with yeah. one of my best friends um, and so yeah totally I kind of agree with Cassie lovely brilliant I'm glad you both agree <laughs> it could have been awful um, so I want to talk about the wider market and there seems to be a kind of uh, foodpreneur, which is a word I've seen used, uh, boom at the moment, and everyone's doing food startups. What do you think's behind that? Uh, I guess it's you know it's it's a tangible you know it's quite a traditional business you know in the in the kind of onslaught of you know fintech and mm. and kind of apps and uh, I guess food 
is a tangible thing that everyone needs and so there's maybe something around that that makes the sector quite attractive um, especially in times of uncertainty Um, and then I also think in terms of like how you kind of access uh, the barriers to entry are quite low you know it's it's not that difficult to uh, make a bar or popcorn relatively speaking Um, and so then you know I think probably as a kind of when you're you're thinking about wanting to start a business that 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 probably appeals Um, but I think getting over that first hurdle is like only the first kind of challenge and then it's about scaling and sustaining and growing a brand and being able to uh, properly support big distribution yeah. and so, so that that's when all the rest of it comes into play but I think as a, as a first entry point um, I get why yeah. lots and lots of people try and it's brilliant actually because the UK isn't well positioned to maybe be um, uh, you know agriculturally very strong um, you know we can't grow corn in in the UK mm. um, well popcorn corn anyway but we can be really innovative and the UK is set up in a way to kind of foster entrepreneurialism with like R&D tax breaks and EIS and SEIS and all the rest of it. And so I think that um, gives the UK its kind of leadership position in terms of innovative food. Yeah. Um, I think that's something to be really proud of as a country, actually. Yeah. So lots of startups try and presumably lots of them fail as well. What do you think are the big reasons that food startups fail so often? I think... I think it's really difficult to just pigeonhole them as food startups. I think um, I would say that one of the most common things that I see with startups is just not, as I said before, not enough attention given to generating revenue. Um, I think when when you're generating revenue, you can then do all the fun stuff and that will come later. But so many times I see businesses who, they could be one year, two year, three years old, And and you kind of pinpoint you know where they're going where they're struggling where they're going wrong, and you know they 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 could have a huge team of people, and when I say huge, even if it's just kind of ten type people, but only two people working in sales, and I'm like, well, th- there's a big reason then you're not bringing the revenue in that you need to bring in. Um, you've got all this kind of like fun, interesting stuff going on in the background, but you're not selling your product or service. Yeah. And I think with um, you know, searching the food industry, I think in our business, you can you can get to probably, you know, between one and three million turnover fairly quickly just by getting some good listings with the multiples. Um, but getting the listings is only kind of, you know, 20% of the way there. You then have to really manage those listings and work them and develop them and, um, you know, look at insights, look at category data on, on how you're going to grow the category. What is, you know, as Cassandra said before, what is best for the retailer and for yourself? And I think that is where a lot of people also struggle. Um, and we see a lot of businesses who kind of get to that level and then don't make it past that and then inevitably kind of fall away. Yeah. Um, so I th- I'd, I'd, yeah. So I guess I'd probably say those two things. Okay. And what are the kind of trends or conventions of the FMCG or food world that you're particularly bored of or think are going to die out soon? What really irritates you in the sector? Well, I think I think health as a macro trend isn't going anywhere, okay. and that's a that's a great thing. Um, but I think within that there is maybe a, quite a lot of sort of faddy and confusing messaging, and 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 kind of my understanding from consumer feedback is that there's just so many messages now telling you how to eat, when to eat, what to do, mm. how to live your lives, and it can be confusing and actually, in fact, quite overwhelming. 
um, where do you start? And so I think just simplicity and um, just kind of honest, simple language and transparency, I think is a much sort of better way to try and distill some of that. Um, yeah. So I think some of the, the kind of the fatty health stuff I, I, I find, um, yeah, a bit much. Yeah. And what would you say to young entrepreneurs, whether they're in food or, or anything else, I suppose, in a kind of crowded marketplace, how can they stand out on the shelf? Propercorn's got a very distinctive kind of color scheme and branding. I think um, it's really important that you don't get confined to the space that you're working on or the category that you're working in. And I think one thing we've done from kind of the beginning is really taken inspiration from anything in the world. It could be other businesses, it could be people. Um, we actually interviewed our, our, our marketing director recently and we asked him to kind of pick out a few um, interesting companies that he thinks have done well. And he actually referenced Daft Punk as an interesting wow. you know, proposition and Why a brand. Because you know, in a world where the whole world is obsessed with kind of not fame, but you know, getting likes and followers and all these things. You know, Daft Punk hid behind these identities and just created this amazing spectacle. I just thought it was so interesting to to kind of like think of it in that way. Um, and so, for yeah, for anyone starting their business, you know, just think outside the box. Um, often people think that they're a challenger brand just by the virtue of them being a startup. And I kind of you know fiercely disagree with that and that what makes you a challenger brand is if you really kind of challenge the status quo and the way that things are being done and actually you know I think with Propercorn you know we did challenge the way that popcorn was being done and actually it wasn't just about doing that it was about taking it a step further and linking it to kind of creativity and uh, fashion and um, you know working with you know young people inspiring them engaging them and that's how we've managed to kind of I guess cut through so I think as much as people can when they're starting their business, you know, be thinking, mm. be thinking big, and be thinking differently to to what people are, are currently doing. Yeah, which uh, brands or companies outside of food inspire you guys? Oh my god, uh, <laughs> Bulb, um, mm. the renewable energy company. Yeah, just like massively prioritised customer service and has completely cut through and has changed the game. Amazing company. Um, Trying to think, God, you know, when you ever yeah. ask that, you just your, your brain goes. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I'm trying to think as well. Take your time. Got Bob doing all right. That's the only one I can think of. <laughs> yeah. um, um, I love the ambition of a company like Tesla. Um, the environment is something I've always been passionate about, and I love, you know, what they've been trying to do, and they've definitely impacted the world now in that they've they've kind of started this trend and a lot of the car manufacturers are now following I think you know they've got their challenges like all businesses but I certainly think that I, I love I love the fact that they've really kind of disrupted the status yeah. quo um, for the better and yeah they're coming at it from a really strong premise of yeah trying to kind of make the world a better place awesome so we're kind of getting to the end of 2018 now I suppose uh, sadly but what's 2019 got in store for Propercorn? Well, uh, international expansion, yeah. lots of innovation. And then, my God, we just need to know what's going on with Brexit. Sorry, I said it, the B <laughs> word. But, you know, that, that unfortunately um, is a factor that, you know, all small businesses have to kind of face at the moment. And it's that complete lack of clarity um, when, you know, you don't have the huge cash reserves and, and the, the kind of the, the flex in your margin base 
we need you know that we need, we need yeah. answers and, and certainty there so i think you know march would be an interesting time is it particularly difficult for you Does, are there reasons why brexit might affect you adversely i think uh you know the, the cost base has gone up you know logistics have increased by you know as an industry around 12 percent and um you know fundamentally um it's difficult for small businesses with lean supply chains to be able to um properly defend against that um and so you know and we we're talking about innovation you know how can you be innovative when you're you know worried about your sort yeah. of blood your blood supply um <laughs> and so uh yeah it's something that i think you know on behalf of all small businesses and kind of um startups um i, I really hope that we get clarity soon yeah What's, i mean i mean sorry. just to uh, just very simply you know we buy majority of our material from europe um and they're our biggest trading partner in terms of our international business. So there is probably not one external occurrence that could have bigger impact on our business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's one hundred percent a something that we need to, as Cass said, get clarity on as soon as possible. What's the best case scenario for you guys that it doesn't happen at all? We we'll go back to how it was. Well, without making this like a political debate, <laughs> I think we're both we're both remainers. Yeah. And. Would loved would have loved for it to have stayed that way and for things just to stay as they are. Um, failing that, you know, the least amount of tariffs possible on on products each way. Um, you know, Europe is the second biggest economy in the world, and um, they they're on our doorstep. So as a trading partner, mm. it's it's you know the go to for, for most UK businesses, um, and we want to keep it that way. Yeah. So I guess that for me would be... Of course. Who in the world of business do you each most admire? We'll start with you, Cassandra. I just can <laughs> never think about these answers on the spot. Um, the one I thought of um, immediately was, was Bill Gates, just because um, I love the fact that he's obviously been extremely successful, that to one side, but really more about what he's doing now. And he started his foundation and he's committed to giving half of his wealth um, to charity and is just focusing on, you know, trying to kind of get rid of the inequality that exists on this planet, which is amazing. Yeah. And what do you think you'd be both be doing if you weren't doing this? Another business. In food? Uh, no, not necessarily, because um, other ideas and, and kind of dabbles before Propicorn weren't in food, so yeah. not necessarily. Okay. Definitely another business as well for me, or a social enterprise. Um, yeah. Charity's always been something I've been really interested in, and um, I think I could see myself certainly after Popcorn doing that. And okay, yeah. Do you think you're both kind of born to run your own show in some way? <laughs> I don't know if you're. Um, I, I think it's. I, I can't imagine. I'd be. I'd be. Um, I can never go and work for someone else again. That's for <laughs> sure. I'd be also a terrible person to have work for yeah. Yeah, as well. And what are you most proud of so far in the Popcorn journey? I would probably say the team and culture that we built in that I think we both were extremely ambitious when we started Propercorn and, you know, both probably backed ourselves to, to do something and achieve something yeah. good. But I don't think either of us could have dreamt that we would have developed such a wonderful team and culture that we have. And it's probably the thing that we're most paranoid about in terms of wanting to maintain. And so... Um, I would say that, yeah. And and the and the alumni is amazing. Like mm. I think like 
eight of our previous employees have gone to start up their own businesses, which is amazing and something to be really excited yeah. and, uh, by and proud of. Um, but I think actually it's still to come. Okay. Mm. Hasn't wow. happened yet. Nice. Good answer. On a tangent, <laughs> in fact, I wonder if there was a moment where you kind of saw something that made you realise, God, we've really made it now. Was there anything that really jumped out to you? I don't think we've made it yet. No, I, I think I think we still feel like we're quite yeah. early on in okay. the journey. Yeah, good. And on the other hand, what have been your biggest regrets or missed opportunities or anything that you feel you failed on? I mean, we've made loads and loads and loads of mistakes, and um, we launched um, we launched a, pro- launched a product called Crunch Corn, which was mm. delicious, half popped popcorn. Um, but no one really got what it was and it didn't work and we had to delist it. And, you know, and and, yeah. and, and we were pretty open about it and sort of put it up and said, you know, God, we, we got this wrong, guys. Um, but at least we're trying. And I think if you want to be innovative and restless as a business, you've got to try stuff. And if you're trying stuff, not everything's going to go right. Yeah. Um, so I think you just be comfortable making mistakes. There's been there's been loads. That's a great answer. What What phrase or convention would you like to banish from the earth? Uh, people that say no offence but okay like well you're obviously about to be a bit offensive aren't you that's true and I think for me um, when 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 you go to a party and someone says to you what are you doing here I'm just like (laughs) well that's very specific does that have a lot to yeah I find it really (laughs) you go you could be anywhere and someone's just like what are you doing here and you're like what I'm obviously doing exactly the same thing you're doing. <laughs> That's um, good. That is actually, I never thought about that, but that yeah, is very it, annoying. It always irritates me. Because yeah. there's the implication that I'm surprised you're invited. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. You're not that. cool enough to I be know, in this yeah, Maybe I'm not cool enough. Maybe that's okay. it. Yeah. Next time someone says that, I don't know what I'll say, but I'll come up with something clever. Uh, what's your biggest fears, Cassandra? What keeps you up at night? Um, there's the usual work stuff, but actually I think your biggest fears shouldn't be about work. Yeah. It should be about kind of your family and your loved ones and your health yeah. and, and much more meaningful things in life. Okay. So um, I think probably that's Of course. Yeah. Ryan, spiders? <laughs> nope, I'm good with spiders. Okay. Um, I, I, I kind of agree. I think for me, my, my biggest fear is probably kind of being alone without a family at the age of 70. And yeah, kind of that, that would be... Yeah, of course. Which sounds... Um, yeah, quite personal, but yeah, that would probably be my yeah. my biggest fear. What's your most treasured physical possession? Uh, for me, I know well. I know straight away what mine would be. It's my my father passed away a few years ago, so it's his watch. Wow, um, which I, I love, and yeah, I keep locked in my safe when I don't wear it because I care about it that much. Are you wearing it today? I'm not wearing it today, okay. no. But um, yeah, I would say that. What about you, Cassandra? Uh, mine is my necklace, um, which. Uh, was um, when my father found out that he um, had sort of terminal illness, he bought a diamond and um, my mum kept it a secret for me and gave it to me as a present on my 30th birthday. And so um, I haven't taken it off since. So that's my most treasured possession. Lovely, amazing. And what about the book that's kind of influenced you the most? When people say, have you got a book you could recommend to me? What do you guys reply? Ryan? So for me, it would be Nelson Mandela's autobiography. A long walk to freedom. Um, main reason being that I love the fact that this person gave up everything, not just his life, but his family and uh, absolutely everything he possibly could to fight for the cause that he believed in. And I think that's so admirable because it's something that I don't know if I, or, or may, many people yeah. would necessarily give up absolutely everything for that. And 
Um, so yeah, when I came away after reading that book, I was just like, wow. Yeah, has it changed your life or the way you look at business? Uh, it definitely has, yeah. I think I think um, it's made me a lot more aware. I think growing up as a white male from London, I've probably already thrusted myself into the top 1% of lucky people globally mm. in terms of, you know, what I've had to go through in my life. And I, you know, probably naive but I had some naivety growing up and not being totally aware of what of everything that was going on and a lot of the suffering and um challenges that you know people from you know minority ethnic backgrounds or even women have faced and so yeah I think it was really good for me because I read that also when I was in my late teens um it was really good to kind of under get that kind of greater world understanding and so yeah it's definitely impacted the way I view things now yeah what about you Cassandra what's the the book that sticks out Ah, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Okay. Yeah, and I love Eeyore. Just so deeply misunderstood. And, you know, I know he complains, but um, everyone still hangs out with him. And definitely Winnie the Pooh. There's some big life lessons in that book. Definitely. And Eeyore's the character you most identify with. Uh, no, <laughs> no, because that makes me sound like a miserable cow. Um, no, uh, I, I think probably there's... Um, uh, it's kind of all the characters, isn't it? That's the yeah. point, is that, you know, there's a little bit of you and Twig... Um, Piglet. Piglet and um, <laughs> Twiglet. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. And finally, do you guys have a personal motto? Who has personal mottos, well, can I ask? Like, no, like normal people don't have personal mottos. No, but mottos. they might have kind of business And if mantras. they do, they're <laughs> really strange. Well, you'd be surprised how many people have Do you something. have a personal motto? Uh, I did have one. I d I no, you don't. don't. I can't remember what it is now. <laughs> I used to have one. It was about twenty. It's, really, it's a really important one. It was, it was, but I think it was quite precocious for a twenty-three-year-old to have a personal motto when he's when he's just left uni and living at home and working at a pub. Okay. So I don't know what it was, but um, most people who come on the podcast do eighty percent of them. Yeah, Not no, but that's just feel... because they feel pressure to say something. Exactly. But this, well, this is uh, what this is about. Pressure. I don't. I don't have a personal motto. I've okay. got maybe more of like a theme song. Yeah, maybe no, that, that's think, better. Uh but I can't even think of that. I mean, because I'd probably give you a Prince track and then that's probably not appropriate. So, okay. yeah. So here's a question we don't ask everyone. What's your favourite Prince song? Oh, God. Oh God I mean, this is tough. Man. Yeah, it depends on my mood. Um, maybe uh, Get Off okay. could, would be up there. Or um, this is the most serious she's taken any question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Been asked in the last hour. It, depends, it depends on my mood. It really does. <laughs> okay, good. Ryan, do you have a personal motto? I I really don't either. Um, <laughs> you do. I, I I was literally again was trying to think of something while you were speaking to Cassandra. Um, but can, can I do the song one? But yeah, give can, me your favorite can, song. My favorite song is "Man in the Mirror" by Michael Jackson. Okay, so, why is that? Um, why is that? Uh, because because I'm I'm a massive cheese ball as you've probably heard over the last <laughs> forty five minutes and you know I, I do I do back the premise if you want to make the world a better place you've got to start with yourself type thing so you know start with the man in the mirror and then then move outwards and I'm going to stop being cheesy now that's um, <laughs> no, a good answer so yeah that, excellent that Ryan Cassandra thank you very much thank for joining you. us thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. 
You can follow us on Instagram at The Gents Journal, on Twitter at The Gents Journal, and find us online at www.thegentlemansjournal.com. All of our podcasts are recorded and edited by Martin Lumsden at Cream Room Sound Productions.